0: This is Dennis Mundy. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda, our podcast, Spirit Matters. uh, We can be found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Reverend Paul John Roach. Uh, He is a graduate of Jesus College, Oxford University. He is a minister uh, with the Unity Church, currently residing in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, And uh, Paul has traveled worldwide and uh, also is a radio show host. Uh, His show is entitled World Spirituality. Uh, Paul, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on our our show today.
1: It's an honor to be here. Thank you very much.
2: Paul, let's give people a little background on you and your uh, spiritual history. Uh, Maybe you could tell us uh, the the, uh, short version of... uh, how you came to become uh, a unity minister
1: okay alright well I grew up in the uh, Episcopalian Church called Church of England but I was never really uh, that too fond of it because it didn't seem to be very relevant to my everyday life you know but I did like it um, uh, in, in school actually because back in the day we, we would taught religious education and sang hymns and heard scriptures and I was fond of that but but in terms of what happened on Sunday, it didn't wasn't very meaningful. And yet I was always a mystic, and I had a lot of mystical experiences as a child and adolescent. And when I went to um, Asia after college, uh spent a lot of time, about a year in India, Nepal, and uh, found a lot of spirituality there, Hinduism and Buddhism. And that really rang a bell for me, because I was like Jesus, you know, what what he taught and who he was, but I didn't like necessarily the religion about Jesus. And, uh, when I understood what Buddhism and Taoism and, and Hinduism were talking about, it sounded exactly like my understanding of what Jesus was saying, you know, this mystical truth, this essence of oneness and love, um, and the fact we're all connected in our spiritual beings. And, and so I came back to the West and, um, with a, re- a renewed understanding of of our, of our um, unitive truth that we're one uh, in spirit, one with each other, and then I found Unity, and that seemed to be the perfect blend because Unity's open to Eastern philosophies, but it's also based in the teachings of Jesus. So um, got, got involved with study groups, then later on, you know, went to seminary. Now I've been a minister in Unity for 28 years here in Unity, Fort Worth, and. It's been a wonderful career. It allows me to be, um, you know, a practitioner of Hindu uh, understanding, uh, but also centered in in Jesus. So it's it's, it's a wonderful combination for me.
0: Uh, Paul, I wanted to ask you. Um, uh, you mentioned you had uh, mystical experiences as a child. Uh, can you describe some of those experiences to us and what you made of them at that time?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest one that I had, um, well, the first one, I should say, and biggest maybe, was uh, when I was seven, uh, and my um, my sister had just died, and um, I was on the mountain that my father and I often climbed, and we were climbing up through this, this woodland at the bottom of the hill, and uh, halfway up the hill, um, my father was picking hazelnuts off the tree and, and feeding them to me, and uh, I don't know if it was the tenderness of his... Um, feeding these, these hazelnuts to me or whatever, but I, I went into a totally other dimension. I went into what I could describe as just white space, and I was gone for a while. Um, it probably didn't last very long, but it seemed eternal, you know, like a mystical experience does. And uh, it gave me this sense that, you know, what we see around us is not necessarily the whole of reality, that there is an interpenetrating spirit world, which, which seemed to be just pure white light. And I remember feeling very, very strange, but very, very, um, contented. It seemed like everything was in its right place. Uh, everything was in divine order, as we'd say in unity. And, um, you know, I, re- I remembered that experience. Um, and of course, as you go into adolescence and you're filled with all the, um, you know, schoolwork and, and and all those things in preparation for a, a, a life of work. You 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 tend to forget the the mystical side of things, and not to mention and was,
2: hormones. Well, that
1: too. Yeah, I thought you should mention that. Yeah, uh, that, that <laughs> did enter into it as well. Though though that could be mystical in its own way. <laughs> but uh, but but you know, I I'd sort of um, put it aside until uh, I, I went. Um, I went to the East again, it sort of uh, rekindled it all for me, So, uh, but I did have mystical experiences in my adolescence as well, but they were, you know, a lot of them were attached to to girls, that that is true, Um, (laughs) and and this this ideal form of girl, you know, that I wanted to find, and and then my life would be perfect, and uh, those romantic ideas, so. But that, but that experience on the mountain, you know, was it was very profound. Later on, actually, I went in, uh had a regression by a therapist, and um, he took me to the same ma- mountain. And there was a sort of a hollow at the top of the hill where he invited me to lie down in my visualization. And my father came to me. My father had been dead by t- for twenty five years by that time, and and he came to me and said, uh, "It's been a long time, son." And I just burst into tears and my heart opened like Mm -hmm. a vortex, you know, recalling Mm -hmm. that. So obviously that mountain is is a very potent uh, place for me, you know, on a a lot of levels.
2: Uh, Paul, you you grew up in Wales. Um,
1: Yes. um, Mm -hmm.
2: Was it South Wales, Dylan Thomas country or North Wales?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. uh, Dylan Thomas, Tom
1: Jones, Richard Mm -hmm. Burton country, you know, all around Mm -hmm. there, the what, what was back in the day the the coal area the the valleys as we called them mm-hmm. and uh, the coal mining was all ended by the time I was growing up and and uh, the hills were being reforested and everything was being cleaned up again mm-hmm. and that's that's an experience I had you know the, I remember the Taff River the river that runs through Cardiff was black you know it was uh, you couldn't see through it because it was black with coal dust. And uh, a few years ago, I went back, and uh, it, it was it was flowing clear, mm. and it made it, I cried. I, I literally cried because it was like, "Oh my God!" You know, I've never seen the bottom of that river before. I've never seen it clean, mm. and and uh, because the you know, the coal was long gone, so it's like a, a, an image of renewal. You know, you can come mm-hmm. back to purity and come back to beauty and again, and uh, both in nature and in our spiritual lives. So it was a an affirmation of that. And, so, and, was, and and
2: in in South Wales at that time, when you had those experiences, was there anybody you could talk to about it, or did you, and how did they react, or did you keep it to yourself?
1: Well, you know, we're, the Welsh people and the Celts in general are, are, are a little bit mystical. You know, we we have that side to us and. We're open to poetry and and song and everything, so it w- it wasn't like uh, it was totally difficult to to talk about these things. But of course, I grew up in a society and and Europe in general is a very secular society and a rationalistic, empirical, and and I remember having lots and lots of arguments with people who you know didn't believe in anything uh, mystical or divine because they thought that was just silly conditioning, you know, uh, fancifulness and um and so it was it was great actually to um to meet like-minded people because yeah a lot of people just w- weren't open at all to to a spiritual dimension especially a mystical spiritual dimension maybe a more conventional christian um tradition you know but but certainly not um what i think of more as the, as a core uh, spiritual feeling you know about of, of oneness and, and um the sort of the presence of the numinous around us you know into penetrating everything
0: uh paul you graduated from uh seminary in, in 1988 i believe uh what That's does right. one study what's the focus of study at a unity uh seminary
1: well when i was there and i you know it may have changed over <laughs> the years but when when i was there um we, we studied uh you know a lot of areas we studied uh, the history of christianity we studied the um the history and the metaphysics of the of the Bible. We studied a lot of Charles and Myrtle Fillmore's works because they are the co-founders of Unity. Uh, we studied metaphysics. Uh, we studied practical things, you know, uh, pastoral counseling um, and uh, other areas. We had a lot of practicums and um, and we we uh, we worked in um, hospitals and chaplaincy, et cetera. So it, it was a full spectrum sem- seminary. Uh, because the unique aspect of it is, it you know, it's focused on metaphysics and um, from not just classical metaphysics, but uh, uh, new thought metaphysics, which is which is looking at the, um, uh, the the spirit within scripture. You know, the how the meaning of it for and the relevance to our own lives in in scripture, and uh, that that was fascinating to me.
2: Uh, Paul, while we're on that subject, one of the reasons uh, I thought it would be good to have you on is um, uh, unity and uh, other New Thought uh, branches have, from what I can tell, uh, grown in popularity in certainly the last 10, 20 years, um, it seems to me anyway, and, it's, and, the, and the Church goes back you know, well over a hundred years, maybe like a hundred and twenty or more, and That's um, right. and uh, many people don't know about it. And it it seems to have the trappings of a Christian church, but uh, when you look at the, the premises of Unity and what is said on a given Sunday or in Unity Magazine, it's actually quite different. And from my perspective, uh, uh, more Vedic <laughs> and. Buddhist than conventionally Christian, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about the um, the basic premises and uh, precepts of unity.
1: You know, I don't think unity has ever been able to successfully define itself, and that may be one of its uh, weaknesses. Mm-hmm. But it's also a kind of strength, also. You know, it's it's out of the box; it can't be contained, so it's hard to explain it to people who are looking for more of a conventional Christian viewpoint.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I, I, it's a sort of mystical path. I know that Michael Beckwith uh, calls it uh, New Thought, Ancient Wisdom. You know, it's an ancient tradition which cuts through all religions, just sort of this mystical core or thread. Um, but but it's also um, yeah, eminently practical. You know, it's uh, we like to call it practical spirituality. So it it's hard, it's hard to define and and you're right you know in the, in the last 20 years or so the unity ideas have been co-opted by a lot of churches you know and the methodists and the presbyterians uh, are speaking and teaching unity ideas that they never would have you know 20 30 years ago and oprah you know says if you go to any church go to a unity church um, yeah. joel o- joel olstein in in houston you know one of the biggest churches in the world seems to teach almost a, a pure unity message you know it's uh it's interesting and i think he's read unity books from my understanding so it, you know it, it's it, we've always been the best kept secret in town you know i i, I think part of that is you're not you know, until you're ready for this teaching you you're you you're you're not gonna find it. Um it it's it's as if it's an open secret, you know. Um until, until you're ready for the for self responsibility, uh, you're gonna go to a church where you can rely on some other person or entity to, to take responsibility for you, you know. Um but when you're ready to do the this work, um, then unity's unity's there. It it is connected to Vedic thinking, I think, in the sense, you know, Vedanta, um and non-dualism is very much uh, in line with with unity teaching. I think, um, especially from my point of view. I think there's certain unity churches that teach more of a affirmative or prosperity message. But of mm. course, I, I like to go a little deeper uh, with with my spirituality. But um, which is another strength of unity. You know, it allows us to be many kinds of um, uh, practice uh, within the, the larger unity movement nobody's telling we don't have a set of doctrines nobody's telling you to think a certain way I, but the essence is you know we have five uh, core principles um there's only one presence and one power and that's god the good um we are inherently divine therefore we inherit that good um we call it the christ spirit um the uh, the third principle is that thoughts um Change our lives, you know. Thoughts, held in mind, produce after their kind. It's the the universal law of reciprocity. Um, prayer and meditation, especially affirmative prayer, is is key to aligning with God. Um, and then none of this is any good until you practice the fifth principle, which is put it put it into practice in thought, word, and deed. So, so those are the five essential teachings of, of unity. Because there's many more, but but that's sort of the core of it.
0: Right. Uh <clears throat> Paul, what was uh, Norman Vincent Peel, would he have been considered a uh uh in the same line of thinking as uh as the Unity
1: Church? Norman Vincent Peel. Um I, I went to see him at the Unity Church actually. I think he was one of the keynotes in one of our conventions mm-hmm. back in the day. Um he's not um a, a Unity person, uh, not new thought necessarily, but of course I think his teaching emphasized, uh, aff- affirmative, mm-hmm. uh, principles. And so he aligned with us in, in that regard, you know, staying positive about things, using affirmation to shift consciousness. Um, so in many ways he, he was, uh, similar. I, th- I think his politics, um, uh, was a little more right of center than, than ours would be. Um, it, the, but, but many, many, uh, correlations, I guess, uh, but, but without, you know, it wasn't necessarily a unity minister, though.
2: Um, Paul, in my research, just to add to what you said, um, uh, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, back in the uh, late, eight, late 19th century, were um, uh, reading and drawing from a lot of uh, Hindu and Buddhist texts and uh, yes. Charles, Charles openly acknowledged that. And I believe they even uh, saw Swami Vivekananda in Chicago in 1893. So, right, the so Parliament
1: that, of World Religions. Yeah.
2: Yes. So that link is, is definitely there. And, and listening mm-hmm. to the five uh, uh, precepts you mentioned, uh, it, it definitely sort of uh, you can see the link there. But it's also interesting that as yoga and meditation and uh, concepts like that have grown uh, more mainstream, that unity has also uh, grown while a lot of mainline churches are declining. Are you finding that people who maybe like you feel a connection to Jesus but are discontent with ordinary uh, mainstream Christianity are finding their way to unity more
1: now? Maybe um, I, I'm not sure. I think Unity is at an interesting uh, crossroads in its development right now because uh, we, we're no longer as cutting edge as we used to be. Because, like we said, you know, so many other people are talking Unity teachings now, mm. um, and and then there's the some people find Unity maybe too uh, traditional. They want something even more radical, so they're attracted to uh, you know Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever, so, uh, something a little more exotic. So. Um, I think we're still defining who we are. You know, I think all all religions or all denominations tend to go through this stage, don't they? Where there's the, the the time before it becomes codified, and then the time afterwards. You know, mm. when you have doctrine and dogma, and uh, we're we're sort of not there yet in terms of becoming codified, but we're we're, we're not really at the fiery beginning that we were either so it's kind of um interesting to see where where it's going to go you know uh that that's fascinating to me um but I, I have great hope because you you know unity is the universalist teaching um it, it's it's very profound it can it can be as as shallow uh, as as a little baby, you know, paddling pool if you want it to be, or oh, it could be very deep and you can go deeply into it depending on what you bring to it, but I guess that's true of, of spirituality in general, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> right. uh, Paul, uh, you, you traveled extensively uh, in India and in Nepal, other places in the Far East. Uh, I'm curious, your initial impressions uh, that you had when you went to India and Nepal and... and uh, uh, how it affected
1: you? Yeah, well, it affected me in a lot of ways. I guess you know. Sometimes I I say that my life is uh, bi and and AI. You know, before India and after India because it, it was such a watershed mm-hmm. time for me. Uh, but part of that was I was in my early twenties and and you know you're impressionable at that age and and so uh, you know there were a lot of shifts. I, I met my my late wife in India, she was American and we met in on the ferry from India to Sri Lanka. So, so that was a huge moment too. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think there's, the, you know, I, I like to think the veil between this world and the other world, you know, between the spirit world and conventional reality is kind of thin in India, you know? Um, and, and so it's easy to, interpenetrate penetrate the two. It's a, there's lots of opportunities if you like. And, um, And I think that's what's endlessly attractive to me about uh, the subcontinent in general. Um, I I went back to India a couple of years years ago now um, for a month, and I was amazed at the the changes, you know, um, the buildings, the roads, the, the, the sheer amount of development, economic development. Um, but of course the the, the the India that I knew before is still there you know in all its chaotic joy and wonder you know its <laughs> filth and, and filth and and its fragrance all all mixed together the, well the i I just
2: it. got back and I can assure you it's still there and <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's uh, what we love about it yeah that and you're right there is this modernization, but the ancient Coexist with it uh, very very um, palpably uh, yes. well, if you, there's a cool, no, one more question about unity is there uh, a fairly wide uh, diversity within the unity world uh, in ter- in other words there are, there are probably hundreds of unity churches around the country, yes. and you know we know other other traditions have a lot of diversity within it, you know depending on the personality of the uh, person in charge in a local area or the the geography or the culture of different places. Is there a lot of diversity within Christianity? What would people find if they if they sort of randomly chose immunity churches?
1: yeah, I think they would see a lot of difference. Um... You know, there are commonalities. You know, we usually end each service with the prayer for protection and the peace song. Um, there's other unity favorites that would show up every so often. We, you know, we're going to use affirmations, probably going to quote from the Daily Word devotional magazine. So there's a lot of things that would be familiar. But, but I think, you know, depending on the, on the minister, like you said, and the ethos of that church, you know, it could be a very, um, Um, more traditional message. It could be a Phil message. A lot of uh, unity ministers want to go back to the core teachings of Charles and Myrtle Mm. uh, and get away from how unity has unfolded over the years. Um, Some churches, you know, would speak more of a a prosperity message, you know, claim your good kind of thing. Others would be into healing more, um, and some like ours, you know, more mystical, um, practical mysticism, um, joy and laughter. You know, we like to laugh a lot in our church because I think that's so important in this day and age. You know, it's a life raft, isn't it? It's to, to be mm-hmm. buoyant, you know, because otherwise we're going to sink. Um, so, yeah, there'd be a lot of diversity, I think, and, um, but the core principles are the same. You know, the metaphysical truths would be the commonality, the five principles, um, the, the, the willingness to look beyond the surface of things you know we're, we're the anti-literalists in unity mm-hmm. we could we always go to the symbolic and the metaphysical rather than seeing everything mm-hmm. literally and i think that would be the largest commonality you'd see
0: right mm-hmm. uh, paul i like your expression before in describing india you said there was a, a very thin veil there between the material world and the spiritual world uh what is the yeah. view of uh uh the unity uh church on uh afterlife on life after death
1: interesting yeah cause I, I just did a show actually on, on my radio program about, uh, with with a psycho uh, cl- a clinical psychologist who lost his son um, he was shot in San Francisco mm-hmm. and he's just written a book called Seeking Jordan where he he was able to commune with his son and, and through automatic or channeled writing he was able to write down um, many of the truths that his son had to, sh- to impart and and uh you know for him it was definite connection there's no there's no separation i i think you know in unity we'd say the, the whatever is born is going to die and and what's born is the body um but there is something beyond the body within us that's um that's not born could never die um which which is our spiritual essence and so uh we would say that that continues do do we go to heaven or hell probably not you know we we don't subscribe to uh, the judgment of, of eternal punishment or, or eternal reward because we believe that everything is unfolding all the time. And so we may learn things, and go away for a while, and come back, reincarnate, whatever. So um, it basically, basically it's the continuity of life, that life is good. Um, and the, the, this physical expression is just... Um, once more, part of the of the great mystery, you know. This, the, we're all into the Father's great house of life, as as Jesus put it. But he emphasised life. You know, he had said, you know, the God, this is God. My God is the God of the living, not of the dead. So uh, we don't spend too much time one, wondering what it's going to be like after we die. It's how what's the quality of your life here and now? I think if you live a good life here. It, whatever happens next, it'll be okay, you know. But it, but if you're always looking forward to something or fearing the future, the, that's not okay because you're not really living to the full right here and now. And that, that's that's my key teaching is to to be present to what is right now.
2: And and Paul, along those lines, um, what what would be the way Jesus is uh, framed or understood? In unity and as opposed to a uh, more traditional uh, Christian uh, church interpretation and if and if you can't speak for unity in general, what would you say personally?
1: Right, and I think there's quite a bit of diversity there too um in terms of what people think Jesus is. you know there's a the high Christology of some uh, and then a uh, you know a, a pragmatist approach of uh, you know good ethics on the other end of things. Um, My my viewpoint is that everything that Jesus did was a resurrection experience. You know, whenever he 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 talked about the abundant life and demonstrated it with his healings and uh, and with his um, his statements of truth and and the miracles, those were all resurrection. It was pointing to the fact that you are not limited except by what you choose to limit yourself in your your mind. And, And so whether he, you know, physically resurrected or not It's not so important for me because the resurrection is not necessarily just a bodily thing anyway. It's about uh, opening to a greater awareness of what this universe is about. So um, the physical resurrection would be sort of the icing on the cake, if you like. Um, Jesus to us is a way shower. Um, We sometimes call him Savior, but, you know, I think that that comes with some baggage about what that means. I like to think of him as the first fruits and and that we are to fruit also, you know, because he said, follow me, the things I do, you could do too. So, he's a a guide, a wayshaw, an elder brother, encouraging us uh, to discover our own divinity as he did. So, um, you know, he's he's obviously a great personage, great prophet. Um, Is he the one and only savior of this planet? I don't think so. Um, I, I think there are a number of those, those folks, but, but we give him great honor because he went systematically through every, every aspect of life, you know, from terrible suffering to transcendent glory and power, and, and laid a template down that we can all follow. So the, that's sort of incalculable worth, I think. Right.
0: Uh, Paul, I, had a, I have a friend that recently moved <coughs> to Oregon, and uh, when he moved there, he joined a, a unity church. And he was very excited about it because he said almost everybody that he met was an agnostic, like him. So, is it? It sounds like is it possible to be agnostic and still be a member uh, in the Unity Church?
1: Sure, um, you can be anything you want. Basically, you know, we mm-hmm. we accept everybody where they are. Um, I would say, though, probably you're going to find more agnostics and atheists in a Unitarian church, <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, they don't necessarily even accept Jesus sometimes in the Unitarian church, and, and some of them don't even believe in God. They believe in this thing called reason, you know, um, and so they'd probably be more comfortable there. Unity, uh, although we accept everybody, um, we, st- we still believe uh, in a more of a spiritual Identity um, and that we talk a lot about Christ and, and things like that. So uh, you know you might be a little tiny bit uncomfortable um, with that terminology, but you know, but certainly uh, we we welcome everybody. We're all in in degrees of ignorance here. We're all we're all in the place of uncertainty. So you know we don't know. Anybody that thinks they know is a bit of a fool. I think right. you know. And j- just a follow up
0: question: Is there ritual in in your church?
1: Ritual, you know, Charles Fillmore and Myrtle didn't really uh, have a lot of ritual traditionally in the church. They were getting away from it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they, You know, Unity was not meant to be a separate church. It was to encourage people to deepen their spirituality in their own churches. And so they, they allowed the ritual to go on in their own churches. And the the, the Unity teachings initially was to help you enrich your spiritual life. As we developed into study groups and churches, then you know the ritual began to creep in because you know you're conducting a a service on Sunday, but there's very little. We don't have communion. Um, you know, some churches wear ministers wear robes. I, I don't. Um, I don't see there's a distinction between me and the and, the, and our congregants. You know, we're all this together, so I don't try and separate myself. We have some rituals, but uh, I like the the burning bowl where we burn up things we don't want anymore at New Year's. Um, we have a, a candlelight service. Um, we have the flower cross at Easter. We take a flower off the cross. So, so we have some some rituals, um, but but precious few compared to you know a traditional Christian church. I guess the inner communion is is med- prayer and meditation. So that that's our. Connection uh, to spirit you don 't need ritual for that,
2: uh, Paul shifting gears you you also have a radio program on, yeah that's on, right on unity sm that 's unity dot f m for people who want to tune in, and your show is called World Spirituality. You have a great variety of guests, including me a couple of times in the past.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you're going to
2: be on again. And I'll be on again for people listening uh, to this before uh, the 26th. Uh, I'll be on on the the 26th, but they're all archived, so you can just find it afterward. But um, in the years you've been doing it, you've you've had a, a great diversity, as I said, of guests. Uh, yeah. How how has doing the show fed your spirituality and your perspective on on uh, spirituality?
1: Well, you know, it's all about connectedness, isn't it? You know, some of us feel like, oh man, I see, I feel, I'm feeling these wonderful things, but I don't know if anybody else is. You know, we, you referenced that earlier. Um, is is it easy to connect with like minded people? And and I think that's true for all of us. We That's why we want to uh, listen to blogs and tune in, read magazines, remind ourselves that there are others uh, thinking those same thoughts, having those same experiences. And, and that's been the great joy for me is connecting in with, uh, like you say, a multiplicity of people who you know, are thinking the same thoughts that I'm thinking, who are exploring the same areas of endeavor, and and making conversation with them, it's because you know, I like I like not just to interview somebody, you know, with the same old questions that've been asked a million times, but to actually have a dialogue with them and and share things. Um, and and they always tell me, man, that was a great interview because you know you made me think. You you engaged uh, the con the concepts, not just ask me questions about them. And, and uh, I think that's the exciting thing. And I, I've made friends actually through this, mm-hmm. and, and and so it's been a very in- enriching enriching process. So I feel blessed to to do it. And um, you know, it's it's an ongoing process of bringing. This message, this voice of an awakening world, as as our Unity Online Radio puts it, uh, Unity FM, uh, the voice of an awakening world. You know, we're waking up to the infinite possibility, and there's nothing more enriching than that.
0: Paul, thank you so very much for your your coming on the show. Are there any final points uh, you'd like to make or, Phil, any uh, comments you'd like to uh,
2: close with? No, I'd give Paul the opportunity to get the last word in.
1: All right. Well, I just appreciate you asking me to be on this show. And it's been a, a blast. And thank you. And, and I hope all those listening uh, enjoy it. Um, and, you know, my my final message, I think, is, uh, you know, maintain the light touch. You know, always be explorers. Uh, you know, what did T.S. Eliot say? Old men should be explorers. Old women should be explorers, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the idea, that, you know, stay young if you stay um teachable and, and inquisitive. Um, and, uh, don't take things so seriously because, you know, God is a, a, a God of a buoyancy and light and, and fun and possibility. So, um, let's, let's live from that context and all will be well. N- no power in the outer, as we say in unity has the power to overwhelm us, you know, greater is the power of spirit within us. And, um, so that that's the message I'd like to impart, I think.
2: Yeah. Thank you for that, Paul. And if anybody wants to look further into uh, Paul's uh, radio show, you can Google Un- or go to unity.fm, uh, and his show is "World Spirituality." And if you find yourself in Fort Worth, Texas envir- environs any particular Sunday, I think you'd enjoy going to Unity Fort Worth..
0: Great. And you, uh, you can also go to uh, Pauljohnroach.com. Uh, This is Dennis Money, along with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, our guest today, Reverend Paul John Roach. uh, And uh, we can be found at spiritmatterstalk.com. We're also on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, and uh, all over social media. Uh, Paul, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you.